On behalf of those who are not here last Sunday and to refresh the minds of those who were, we took a look at the opening verses of uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, actually the opening statements of the Lord here, when the Lord taught his disciples how to pray. Uh, this is not a prayer the Lord prayed. It's a prayer, an outline, you might say, um, that the Lord gave to his disciples of certain points to guide them in their prayer life. So he said, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Tried to emphasize the fact that we pray to our Father. He didn't say pray to your Father like my Father, but our Father, because when I pray, I should have others under consideration besides myself. I need to have all of you under consideration. I need to have the Lord's people in general under consideration. So we pray our Father, which art in heaven, that tells us where our Father is at. Our Father is in heaven. Now he's omnipresent, which makes him everywhere present, nowhere absent. From that point of view, one of his attributes, but our Father is in heaven. And hallowed be thy name, we try to emphasize how holy the name of God is, how pure his name is. Now, I'd kind of like to continue in that theme some this morning. Now, I'd like to begin over in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 5, and 6, when the apostle here said, For when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that was under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, he sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now he says, when the fullness of the time was come, that just simply means the time that God appointed to send his son into this world had arrived. All the Old Testament prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he'd be born, how he'd be born, when he'd be born, the location of his birth, etc., all came together when Christ came into this world. He fulfilled them to a jot and to a tittle. Every T was crossed, every I was dotted. Now when the fullness of the time was come, what did God do? God sent forth his son into the world. He sent forth his son made of a woman. That means that his conception was unique and different. Uh, he was conceived in the womb of Mary, but the conception is not with human seed, the seed of man. Rather, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost that overshadowed her. So when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. At the time that Christ arrived, Moses' law was still in effect. He was made of a woman, made under the law. For what reason? To redeem us from under the law. That's why Christ came. He came to redeem. And to redeem, there must be a price. A price has to be paid, a redemption price. To redeem us from under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because you are sons, and notice this, because you are sons, not that you're going to become sons. You're already sons. You're sons by covenant. You've been the sons of God before time ever started when God foreknew you and chose you in Christ and gave you to his son. And because you are sons, he done something else. He sent forth the spirit of his son. Two things that God did. He sent his son, then he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and that resulted in what? A cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Father. So you cry out, Father, Father. You'll never cry out from the heart, Father, Father, until the Spirit of His Son has been sent into your heart in regeneration, in the work of the new birth. 
You'll never get anybody else to cry out to Father, Abba Father, Father, Father from their heart in sincerity prior to that moment. You can teach them, you can preach to them, you can lay it out systematically as much as good as a man has ever been blessed to do. It'll make no difference. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Just beating your head against a brick wall. But he set forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice the word Father here. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. If he sent forth his Son, then he must be his Father. 1 John 5.7, For the three that bear record in heaven, the Father the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Here the three and one Godhead is separated for us, not in three gods, one God in three persons, one God in three different offices, you might say. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Son he's referred to as the Word, spelled with a capital W. So there's three that bear a record. Where? In heaven. The Father is in heaven. The Word was in heaven. The Holy Ghost was in heaven. But the Word came down from heaven. John 1, 14, for the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means tabernacled. A tabernacle was something that was used temporarily, and Christ would be here temporarily. He'd be here about 33 and a half years. So the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, throughout the scriptures, we find that Christ referred to God as his Father practically every single time. In fact, in the Gospel of John, no less than 32 times, Jesus spoke about being sent by the Father. 32 times in John's Gospel alone. And a few other cases in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John's Gospel alone, no less than 32 times, Jesus spoke and said he was sent by the Father. Now, we're talking about the eternal sonship of Christ. Somebody might say, well, Brother Lawrence, what difference does that make? It makes a great deal of difference. Is that going to add one to heaven for me to understand that? No, it will not. Will it cause one less to be in heaven because I don't understand that? No, it will not. So what's the importance of it? Well, is truth important? Is truth about anything important? Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and truth will make you free. If the truth is important in some cases, the truth is important in all cases. This is an essential point of Christian doctrine taught in God's Word, the eternal sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ was prophesied in Isaiah 9-6, it goes like this. It says, unto us a child is born. Okay, A child could be a boy or a girl, male or female, but he doesn't leave us in doubt. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 7 and 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew 1, 23 tells us Emmanuel means God is with us. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. The prophet 700 years before Christ was born declared that a son would be given declared a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, not a child, but a son. And it happened just like they said. We find in other cases things to teach us this, such as when the Hebrew children were in the fiery 
furnace. He did seven times hotter than normal. And the king looked in. He said, Behold, I put three in and I see four. And one is likened to the Son of God. How did he know that fourth was the Son of God? It had to be through a supernatural revelation, of course, from God, because this was a heathen king. But he recognized that fourth one in there is the Son of God. In the fifth chapter of Joshua, just before Joshua is going to lead Israel across Jordan's river into Canaan's land, we find that Joshua had a startling experience. We find one appeared unto him that aroused up Joshua, and he drew his sword in defense. He said, Who art thou? And the response was, I'm captain of the Lord of hosts. I'm captain of the Lord of hosts. Upon that answer, Joshua fell down and said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? He acknowledged him as Lord. The captain of the Lord of hosts was Jesus Christ. I read in the book of Hebrews where he's the captain of our salvation. He is our captain. And then the captain of the Lord of hosts, which the word captain means prince right there, and he's the prince of peace according to Isaiah 9, 6. He says, take off thy shoes for the ground thou standest on is holy ground. And we find the word angel spelled with a capital A a number of times in the Old Testament, how the angel delivered Israel. That, that angel was no other than God's beloved son. We're talking about the eternal sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ didn't become the son of God. Christ did become the son of man and took upon himself humanity. He didn't become half God and half man. He was all God and all man. The son of God has always been the son of God. So we find that the father sent the son. And the Lord repeated that numerous times. And again, at least 32 times in John's gospel alone, Jesus himself made this statement. Now, why would Jesus say that that many times? Well, what sets John's gospel apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the fact that the apostle John established the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He presented Christ in this manner. I've already given to you John 1.14, but look at it again. For the Word, capital W, for the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now read in 1 John 3.1, where the Apostle John said, What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Sons, plural. Every one of you here this morning, every member of God's family, is embraced in that expression. What manner of love. I love this verse. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's love, isn't it? Oh, is that love? Because you see, by nature, we're unlovable. And we didn't choose God. God chose us. Go to 1 John 4, 10. For herein is the love of God. Not that we love God, but the fact He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we're sons of God different than Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mentioned this to you before on more than one occasion, but the word begotten is a very important word. The Apostle John uses this exclusively. Your modern version of the Bible omit the word begotten. The ESV that's very popular right now has just taken it right off the pages. That word begotten means one of a kind. It means unique. The Lord Jesus Christ is a son of God different than you and I being sons of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has always been the son of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only what? His only begotten son. 
his only begotten son. 1 John 4, 9, he says, And this was the love of God manifested toward us, that God sent forth his only begotten son, that we might live through him. I'm going to go back to that in just a minute, Lord willing. That word begotten means one of a kind, unique. I'm not a son of God like Jesus Christ is. I had to be born into the family of God. I had to be adopted into the family of God. We're sons of God based upon unconditional election. Before the foundation of the world, before time ever began, before this universe existed, God foreknew you and chose you. Romans 8, 29 and 30 makes it explicitly clear. From whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And the firstborn means rank and dignity. He's the firstborn, rank and dignity. That sets him apart as well. And maybe he did predestinate them, he also called him. Maybe he called them, he also justified them. He justified them, he also glorified What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Notice carefully when he starts talking about the foreknowledge of God, and you end up with the glorification over here, that the number under consideration never increases, never decreases. The exact same people God foreknew, he also did predestinate. The exact same people he foreknew predestinated, the exact same people he called, and the exact same people that he foreknew predestinated, called, he justified, and the exact same people he foreknew predestinated, called, justified, and one day will glorify are all the same people. Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So therefore the Lord said, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. Now there are times that Jesus used that expression when he prayed to the Father. Sometimes you read in the Bible, when you read about the Father, you'll read where it says, my Father, our Father, and the Father. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is his Father, and his Father is our Father, but not in the same way, not in the same manner. We are sons of God, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but not in the same way. That's very important you understand that. So Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the eternal Sonship of Christ. That's a very important Christian doctrine, and the glory of God depends upon that truth being broadcast, established, and declared. Now, when it comes to Jesus using that expression, again, he, he used it very often. Uh, we will not give all 32 references, obviously, out of the Gospel of John <laughs> this morning. But I would like to give you maybe just a few. We, let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, and this was the love of God manifested toward us. Now, here's the manifestation of God's love. We're talking about the manner of God's love. Here's God's love manifested. And the manifestation of God's love, the love of God was manifested toward us. That he sent forth his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word propitiation is used three times in the New Testament. The word propitiation means ransom, means redemption. So here we find why, why God sent his son. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the ransom price for our sins, to be the redemption price for our sins. Now when you look in 1 John 2, 2, 1 and 2, he says, little children, these things we write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, let him know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins. 
Jesus is the ransom. Jesus is the propitiation. He is the redemption price. It's interesting to me, if you go back and read about Noah and Noah's ark, Genesis chapter 6, you'll find when God gives Noah instruction how to build that ark, he, there's three stories to it. He gives dimensions to it. There's one window on the top of it, and there's one door on the side. And he says, on that door on the side, he says, you're to pitch it within and without. The word pitch is used in different ways in the Old Testament. You can read numerous times why Israel pitched their tents. That means they set up their tents. They erected their tents. When Israel crossed Jordan's river, they took 12 stones out of the river. It says that they pitched them on the other side. That means they stacked them up on the other side. But the word pitch over here in Noah's Ark don't come from that word. The word pitch right here literally means redemption price and ransom price. That ark was designed for Noah and his family. And Noah's family go on that ark, and that door is shut, and it's pitched within, it's pitched without. They have redemption. In other words, they're going to be delivered and saved from the oncoming flood. So he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then the next verse, verse 10. Herein is love. If you don't know what love is, then herein is love. Not that we loved him. Why would he say that unless people get it mixed up and get it backwards? <laughs> Why would he say that? Here in his love, not that we loved him. Don't misunderstand. There's no love in our hearts for God prior to the new birth. None, zip, nothing. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but he loved us and sent his son that we might live through him. Let's take a look at the word might just for a minute. Because that's an important word in the Bible. When you read the word might in the Bible... It has a different type of meaning it does when we use the word might. If I see somebody yesterday and I'm talking to them and I said, well, hope to see you at church tomorrow. And they say, well, I might be there. That's hardly a commitment. In fact, if they say that, I'm not looking for them. I'm just not looking for them. That's just telling me in a nice way without saying I'm not coming. I might show up. Well, that's not the way the word, the way the Bible uses the word might when it comes to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, just for example. Here the apostle says to husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might, he might sanctify it by the washing of water by the word. Does that mean he might will or might won't? Is that what he means? Well, it, does it mean what it says? Then he says that he might present it to himself a glorious, ch a glorious church without spot, without blemish. Is, does that mean that it might not happen? When you read that, do you get the impression that might not happen? Or do you get the solid conviction that's going to happen? I can assure you that's going to happen. There's no question about it. There's no possibility that's not going to happen. There's coming a day when Christ shall present his bride, his church, his elect, his family to himself and take her across the threshold, my friends, into heaven, pure world. He shall present himself a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, any such thing. There will be no wrinkles in the bride. <laughs> you know, when a person gets married, they get married young, the bride doesn't have any wrinkles. You can stay married long enough, they might show up. It's a fact of life, right? <laughs> it shows inward decay, by the way. 
That's right. When you got wrinkles, you got more to cover with than you got to cover. That's why wrinkles appear. But the bride of Christ will never be that way. The bride of Christ will be completely filled out. The bride of Christ shall presented, be presented by the Son, a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, any such thing. You think that might not happen? 1 Peter 3, 18. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ said, For he uh, was the just, he offered himself as the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You think he's not going to bring us to God one day? Do you think that word might indicates he might not bring us to God one day? What, goes, what uh, letter goes on the end of might that changes things? It's a Y, isn't it? If you put a Y on the end of might, what do you got? You got mighty. What's one of the names of God in Isaiah 9, 6? Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And the mighty God does mighty things so he might bring us to God. Titus 2 and 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, godly, and righteously in this present world. And we look for that blessed hope. That's what I'm looking for, anticipate, is that blessed hope and the appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who redeemed us from all iniquity. From all iniquity. Who might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, did he or did he not? Redeem us from all iniquity and again present us himself a glorious church without bribe and without spite. Is it going to happen? Is the word might indicating any way whatsoever that it could not happen? No, it does not. The word might in Scripture, when it has reference to Christ, is just one letter short of mighty. <laughs> in Isaiah 63, he says, Behold, he that cometh up from Basra with dyed garments uh, from Edom, from Edom with dyed garments from Basra. He that comes traveling in greatness and strength, mighty to save. He was mighty to save, and he saved. That word might uh, give you another illustration when it comes to the fulfillment of the scriptures. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, when the angel says unto Mary, uh, to Joseph, says concerning Mary, that she shall conceive and bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his, their sins, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Is there any scripture in the Old Testament concerning Christ gone unfulfilled? No. Every single scripture in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ has been fulfilled to a jot and to a tittle. There is not one single exception. And there are hundreds. So there's a word might there indicate that perhaps a scripture would not be fulfilled. No, it does not. It's right the opposite. It shows the surety of it. There's certainty of it, you see. So that word might is a very important word. You look in John 4, 34, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The work of him that sent me. Notice, he, he, in fact, when you see the word finished, you'll find it used by the Apostle John uh, throughout, his, throughout his gospel. He says, My meat is to do the will of him that what? That sent me. Here's one I want to get for you. He sent me. 
my meat to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Works. Now there were works that the father gave to the son to do and to finish. As a father, <laughs> you know, a father sometimes gives some jobs, some chores, some works for the children to do, and maybe they don't get finished. <laughs> now when my father gave me a job to do, I learned early on he intended for me not only to start it, he intended for me to finish it. <laughs> it didn't take me long to understand and interpret what he was telling me. Well, the father gave to the son some works for him to finish. Look a little further in John 5 and 36. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have greater witness than John the Baptist. He says, the works which the father which sent me to finish, the same have I done and they bear witness of me. The very works that Jesus Christ did were the works of the father. The same works, by the way. Even Jesus didn't change anything about that. He didn't add to or take away. The very same works that the Father gave to the Son to finish, Jesus finished them, and they bore witness that the Father sent him. And he says, the Father has sent me, and bore witness of me. John 6, 38 and 39, the Lord Jesus Christ said, For I came down from heaven, that's where he came from, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that all he hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise up again at the last day. Don't you love those sense? The work being, oh, by the God, let me get back to the works here just for a second. I almost forgot. You come to John 17, 4. Now here we have the Lord's Prayer. Here we have the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father just before going to the cross. And he lifted up his eyes to the Father and says, Father. Notice he addressed him as Father. Father. The hours come. Glorify thy son. He might also glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh and he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And we come to verse four. He says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, as I've said before, when you're talking about the Lord finishing a work, you're talking about it being finished, period. It, he don't have to go back. When you mow the grass and you finish the job, how long does it last? You know, it's been so dry since we left. I got back thinking we was going to have to mow the grass. It looked like we just mowed the day before we uh, got back. been so dry, it didn't grow any hardly. But I know when it gets to rain, I'll read back out there, those lawnmowers mowing that grass again because it just comes back up over and over again. That's how we finish things. We finish things so we can start back over and do them all over again. When the Lord Jesus Christ finishes something, it's finished, period. It's finished, period. He said, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. It'll never have to be done over again. He came to redeem, he redeemed. He came to justify, and justify. He came to reconcile, he reconciled. He came to save, he saved. He came to deliver, he delivered. He's not coming back to do any of that all over again. It's, already, it's been established. It's, it's done. It's a done work. It's the difference between a doing work and a done work. We preach a done work, right? We're not preaching a doing work. We're preaching a done work. It's done. The Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly referred to, the, to, the, his, to God as his Father in the Word of God. And sometimes he referred to him as my Father. Sometimes the Father and my Father. Over in the 
book of John chapter 10. You'll find where the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 17, he says, for, for this cause doth my father love me. My father love me because I laid down my life. I might take it again. He said, I lay my life down. No man take it from me. I lay it down. No man take from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received what? Of my father. He received that commandment. He received that power of his father that he could lay his life down and take it again. There's coming a day when I believe that my body will be resurrected. John 5, 28 tells me that. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Marvel not at this because the hour is coming when they in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. I believe my body will hear his voice and my body will respond and come out of that grave, a glorified body, fresh like the glorious body of the Son of God. But who called the body of Jesus Christ out of the grave? Who called his body out of the grave? Jesus Christ was self-resurrected. In a state of death, Jesus Christ overcame death. He self-resurrected. He came forth out of the grave. He had power to lay down his life. He had power to take it again. No man took it from him. No man got him out of there. You know, there was a stone that was rolled up. A huge stone was rolled up to the mouth of that sepulcher where Jesus Christ was laying. And the women on the first day of the week desired to go there. And there's a conversation among the women. And they're thinking, who's going to roll the stone away from us? For us. <laughs> who's going to roll the stone away for us? You know, I, I thought about that. A lot of times people got good intentions. People, you know, want to do something, but then they'll think of some reason they can't. You know, it don't take much. The devil will give it to you if you can't think of it on your own. He'll come along and assist you. I want to do that. Well, oh, shoot, there's no need to do that. I can't get it done. Those sisters said, who's going to roll the stone away for us? They didn't know. You know what happened? They got to the sepulcher. The stone had been rolled away. The Lord sent the angels to roll the stone away. That's how it got rolled away. <laughs> when they looked in, it was empty. <laughs> Who got Lazarus' body out of the grave? Jesus did. He didn't self-resurrect. Jesus got his body out of the grave. And he called his name Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. The Lord Jesus Christ come out of the grave. He didn't hear a voice. He self-resurrected. <laughs> that just blew, That's more than my little old mind can wrap around here this morning. I, how about you? I'm glad I don't have to understand everything to believe it, don't you? <laughs> I believe that with all my heart. <laughs> Jesus self-resurrected. He just came forth out of that tomb, out of that sepulcher. And then he showed himself alive for 40 days before he ascended right into heaven. He said, this commandment I've received of my father. Then he comes on down just a little bit more in verse 25. He says, you believe me not because you're not of my sheep. He says, my works bear testimony of me that the father sent me. Then he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and no man can pluck them out of my hand, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. They're in my hand, they're in my Father's hand. And he says, my Father, which gave me them, is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus speaking about the Father. The same Father, the sure Father. The same Father, he told his disciples, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, one of his final sayings was, he had, there were seven sayings of Christ on the cross. He says to the Father, he says, Father, I commend my spirit into thy hands. He spoke about the Father. He commended his spirit into the hands of his Father when he hung there on that cross. In Matthew chapter 25, you'll find here language that represents the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll find where Christ comes down, will come down from heaven. And it says, uh, for the Lord of glory uh, shall come with all his holy angels. And he shall be like a shepherd which divided with, uh, divide his sheep from the goats. He'll put his sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Notice it's his sheep and the goats. These goats were never his sheep. But he got a message for his sheep. He says, come ye blessed of my father. You're blessed of the father of Christ because he's also your father. Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You got a father in heaven that Jesus said, there's not a sparrow that falls from the tree without your father. That is without your father's knowledge of it. And the very hairs of your head are numbered. And I know it, that number changes daily. All you got to do is comb your hair and brush your hair and take a look at it. And you got less hair than you did before you comb it and brush it. That's why I don't use the comb much. I don't use it out of necessity. I use it before I come to church. <laughs> Karen says, you, you, what does she call that? Quibbles and bits or something like that. So that's what she says I got left now. And it don't take a long, as long to give me a haircut she once did. It just doesn't, I, have, I always get the dustpan and the broom and I sweep it up. I try to do the best I can to help out. I get it down and I put it back up and I get the dustpan and the pan. And, but when she cuts my hair, I have to, it takes me a while to look around to find it. <laughs> I mean, it's just not much there. But no matter how many hair I have today, Jesus Christ knows exactly how many I've got. And he'll know exactly how many I've got tomorrow. And he knew exactly how many I had yesterday. Sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ referred to God as his father, and sometimes referred to him as our father. That's why he spoke these words to Mary Magdalene there in John chapter 20 when she came, and she thought he was the gardener. And he spoke to her, and he says, Mary, and she replied by saying, Rabboni, which means master. She knew who he was when he called her by name. Prior to that time, she thought he was a gardener. He says, touch me not. I take to that that Mary was approaching him with the intentions of embracing him. But Jesus says, touch me not, for I've not yet ascended my father. I'm going to be here for 40 days. I've not yet ascended my father, but you go and tell my disciples, or excuse me, my brethren. That was a, tried to make a significant point out of that last Sunday. You go and tell my brethren that I send unto my God and their God and my Father and their Father. Notice how he separated here. He said, I'm going to send to my God, but my God is your God. And I'm going to send to my Father, and my Father is your Father. He never said anything about our Father when he had reference to him and us. It was my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, In the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law. God sent forth his son, his beloved son, his eternal son. 
in order to become a propitiation for our sins, we might live through him, that he might finish the works the Father gave unto him. And then in Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. You know, the Lord had good habits. And on the Sabbath day, one of the habits of the Lord was to go to the house of God. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he opened up the book, the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures to Isaiah chapter 42. Excuse me, Isaiah 61. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to preach glad tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Here's another reason God sent him. And he specializes in that. God's been healing the brokenhearted for centuries. Has he healed your heart? Has he come and been the great physician that you stood in need of at a certain time in your life when your heart had pain in it and your heart had sorrow in it? When your heart uh, uh, was just uh, in, in such in, in bad shape, but the Lord came and he done something about it. He healed the brokenhearted. He's healed my heart on more than one occasion. There's so many things that can break your heart in this world. But Jesus specializes in it. I'm so glad I don't have one great physician. <laughs> you know, you used to, if somebody asked you who your doctor was, you could tell them. You didn't have one. <laughs> when I grew up, it was Dr. Judd. <laughs> he healed my broken collarbone. He gave me shots for the strep throat and one thing. And oh, I hated going to him. He believed in shots. And I had to sore throat a lot when I was growing up. I had to go see Dr. Chud. <laughs> he thought he had what I needed with a shot. I didn't, I never liked shots. Still don't like shots. But today, I've got a half dozen doctors. I got a general physician, don't you? Primary physician. I got an eye doctor. I got a tooth doctor. I got knee doctors. I got all kinds of doctors today. But thank God Jesus Christ is the only physician I stand in need of when it comes to my spirituality, when it comes to my eternal life. He specializes in everything. I go to him for a broken heart. I go to him for understanding. I go to him for deliverance. He specializes in everything. Aren't you glad of that? I like to talk about the gospel. People own pills, pills, pills. I'll tell you the best pill you'll ever take and the only pill you stand in need of in a general rule, and that's the gospel. The gospel will take care of whatever ails you. It'll take care of your situation. I'm glad I have a heavenly Father I can pray to that's in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we pray. That shows that we believe in the providence of God and God caring for us and God providing for us and God able to take care of our needs. Now when you read, when you start reading in Romans and you wind up over in 2 Thessalonians, you've read nine epistles. You read Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and you read Galatians and you read uh, uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. Then you read 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, you got seven churches, nine letters. Then you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. You know why I mentioned all those to you? It's because in, in the introduction to every single one of them, 13 letters, nine church letters, three ministerial letters, 
a letter to a man by the name of Philemon. There's something all 13 of those letters have in common. And you'll find the opening verses of every single one of them, and it's verbatim just like this. The Apostle Paul, who's the human writer of all these epistles I just mentioned to you, says this. And the grace of God be with you and peace from God our Father. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and peace be with you from God our Father. Why would he say that? Exactly those same words in every one of those epistles. You know, when you study the Bible, if you study it on a regular basis, you're going to find things new all the time. I got to think about it this morning. You know, you get out in the wide open country. How many of you are out in the Midwest, maybe? And you go from one little town to another town to another town to another town, and you've gone through eight or ten towns. And you tell somebody, well, you know, we passed through a lot of real small, really nice towns along the way. But you didn't stop at any of them. What if you'd have stopped and spent a couple hours in each town? You'd have found out a lot more about that town, right? You'd have had some details about that. And I think sometimes, you know, it, I want you to read the scriptures, but I want you to stop and spend a little time in these little towns. I want you to stop and take a little time in Matthew. I want you to stop and take a little time in Mark. I want you to stop and take a little time in Luke. I want you to stop and take a little time in John. You read all these expressions, 32 expressions in John. And by the way, in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus Christ on 36 occasions spoke about God as my Father. 32 times in John's Gospel is the Father who has sent me. 36 times in John's Gospel is my Father. And every single time, that's 68, right? 68 times in John's gospel alone, he refers to God as his father that sent him or my father. And as you read in John, it'll pay you every single time you read the expression, just pause for a moment and see what he said in connection with it. So why would Paul say this? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and peace be with you by God our Father. It's because the Apostle Paul knew that we were going to need grace and peace to get along in this world right here. Paul knew that we were going to need the daily supply of God's grace to help us along through the hurdles of life. He knew how important grace was. He knew how important peace was. They go together real well, don't they? Like mercy and grace, mercy and truth, faith and hope. <laughs> Aren't you glad about all these little words here in the Bible? They just go together so well. The apostle knew we was going to need grace on a daily basis. He knew we'd have troubled minds and troubled hearts. He knew we would need the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And so before he began to write to the, to the different churches, the different preachers, the first thing he would say would be, grace and peace be unto you through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them, no exception. Thirteen letters in a row. When you open up and start reading those letters, that's what he says. Do you need a little grace this past week? Do you need a little peace this past week? Think you'll need some tomorrow? 
Think you'll need something before you lay down and go to bed tonight? I believe you will. You've got you to have grace. Just know how to talk to one another. Colossians chapter 3. He says, but let your speech be always with grace and season with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. When the telephone rings, it's not always somebody you want to talk to. <laughs> I don't know how many times they keep giving me a last chance to extend the warranty on my car. They've given you one last chance. One last chance. <laughs> oh boy, I have to remember that verse. Of course, I just usually delete. <laughs> they ought to have sufficient grace. Help me through my problems like the Apostle Paul who had that thorn in the side and he prayed three times to the Father, to God, that he might remove it, but it wasn't God's will to take it out, but God did tell him this. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. I'm going to need a little of that sufficiency of God's grace uh, before the sun sets today. And oh, how I need the peace of God that passes understanding once again. That's why the Lord said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, not as the world giveth. The only real and true peace and lasting peace comes from the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you pray, you pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know what? I've started doing this lately. Never had done this before, but here lately I've started doing this. When I go to bed at night, I quote that. <laughs> I do. It just helps me. You know, I've started quoting that. It just comes in my mind. I just start quoting it. And as I lay my head on my pillow, I say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the honor and the glory. Amen.